Welcome to Trashy Divorces. Welcome back. Another episode. I'm Stacy. Hey, I'm Alicia. And what is our song this week, Alicia? In the wee small hours of the morning. What? Uh, it's a song, 1955, composed by David Mann, lyrics by Bob Hilliard. It was introduced as the title track of Frank Sinatra's 1955 album, In the Wee Small Hours. Hmm. So Frank records this album after his tragic breakup with my story this week, the divorce of sure. Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner. And oh, just the crack in Frank's voice is Aww. tragic. It just, oh, it's the, the song is about the one that got away. And we both had stories about ones who got away. That's for sure. Yeah. In my story, it is uh, Dolly Parton who got away from Porter Wagoner in a uh, in a work divorce. They were never married, but it's our first work divorce. Yeah, on trashy go. divorces, we're going a little outside the parameters this week. Also, happy birthday to Dolly Parton because come on, for real, happy birthday, Dolly Parton. It's a good day for all of us. So before we get to the episode, let's just do a quick shout out. We had a lot of new folks join us this week for all the magic that happened on Patreon. You started. Your Church of the Flaming Dumpster Fire. I did. With a story I've never heard. Bonzo. On. I hadn't either. Bonzo, 19th century. Woo! Henry Ward Beecher, yes. Just a super giant religious hypocrite dumpster fire. So and, good. Uh, just a really awful story about power and corruption. We covered this past week the uh, first half of the trashy divorces of Lana Turner and the, the stabbing of Johnny Stompanato. We talked a little bit about Henry VIII's possible blood diseases and how they may have led to his possible reproduction woes. Seriously, sp- Patreon is spin the wheel. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. So lots of new folks in the Magic Mirror this week who got all of this magic and more with great fanfare and thanks and celebration abounding, bidding for Dolly Parton's birthday. Who joined us this week? I will start us out. Thank you so much to Bailey, Elise O., Brooke A, Dwayne T, Elizabeth F, Stephanie H, Sarah R, Pappy K, Barbie and Deb T, Jessica F, Caddy H, Haley L, Andrea H, Denise M, Vicky B, Angela F, Katie H. You are all amazing. Thank you, Thank so, you so much. much. We have another quick shout out to give to our Trash Candy Connoisseurs on Patreon this week. We've had a wave of super supporters of late and just wanted to take a minute to give a very special shout out to Jamie, Kimberly, Natalie, Laura, Stephanie, Amy, and Jessica. You're amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. We appreciate you so much. Your super supporter prize pack should already be delivered to you. If you haven't gotten it yet, there's a whole stack waiting to go out and post on Monday. So be on the lookout for that. Many, many thanks to all of our Patreon supporters at every level. Alicia, will our hearts learn their lonely lessons this week? Probably not. Mm. It's this, oh, and the crack in the voice and the, oh, the song just makes me cry. (laughs) You know what? Let's just go, go, go. Let's do it. All right, Alicia, a lot of our listeners have have mentioned that you've been slow building a certain arc, and I feel like maybe this week is when we ascend to the top or whatever happens with an arc. That's not what happens with an arc. In any case. We hit the next level. Sure. We hit the next level. So we left 
Ava Gardner last week, mm. fresh off her divorces from Mickey Rooney and Artie Shaw. Right. And we left Frank the week before, divorced from Nancy Sr. Right. And dalliancing with Lana Turner. First, and then Ava Gardner. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of had these uh, two just waiting at the Trashy Divorces Depot, right? Hooking these crazy kids up. Let's go ahead and get into it. There's a lot to this story today, but just a quick astrology recap. Frank is a Sagittarius. Sagittarius says y'all value freedom and independence. They want to live life to the fullest. Possessive people are not going to be welcomed for very long. There are wanderers, our Sag friends. Ava's a Capricorn. Capricorns, y'all, the most determined sign of the Zodiac. Capricorns are ambitious. They're careful. They're helpful. They're methodical. And a Sag just isn't those things. A Sag wants to keep things like pretty zippy. So a Sag and a Capricorn, normally, these two are just going to annoy and confuse each other. It's going to play out here a bunch. Sag and Cap, not normally a recommended mix, and these two give us some great illustrations. But the interesting thing about these two crazy kids, because I'm like, really? How did they do their tumultuous love affair for so long? Both of their moons are in Pisces. Papa. Oh. Don't say that moon signs aren't why. anything. Uh. That's, that's exactly why. Both of their moons are in Pisces. Okay. <clears throat> No, of course that makes perfect sense. It absolutely makes what sense. Else Otherwise could it, it would be? have fizzled out long before it did. And it never fizzles out. They are they stay in love forever. Okay. Frank. Remember flirty Sagittarius Frank. Never heard of him. Frank Sinatra actually meets Ava during her first marriage to Mickey Rooney. Okay. Uh, they're out on the sunset strip one night and Frank knows Mickey Rooney and comes to say hello. And Frank says to Ava why didn't I meet you before Mickey? I'd have married you myself. Frank Sinatra's bowled over by the beauty that is Ava Gardner, which is rich, coming from Frank Sinatra as he's been married to Nancy Sr. since 1939. But it's like 1943 now, and Frank is so taken with Ava from that day on. Frank is going to go on to date and bed lots of lovely ladies, most especially Lana Turner throughout this time. And remember, Frank isn't leaving Nancy, okay? Ava also has a tendency to fool around with some hanky-panky, too. She goes through a run of affairs with some married actors throughout the 40s and after her divorce from Artie Shaw. First up, Fred McMurray. Okay. The dad who you do not think of as sexy at all. BuzzFeed tells Apparently me. Apparently was sexy. BuzzFeed tells me I'm basically a millennial, so I don't know <laughs> who you're talking about, but okay. <laughs> so she and Fred McMurray have an affair. It's pretty discreet, but Ava gives that up when she finds out his wife, Lillian Lamont, is very ill. <clears throat> so Ava has a friend assistant confidant named Rini Jordan for like 40 years of her life. And Rini says about Ava, she didn't object to secret adultery. But when a guy was two-timing a sick wife, she objected to that yeah. strongly. Yeah. Ava moves on to Robert Taylor, who is very unhappily married at this point to big-time movie star Barbara Stanwyck. Actor Howard Duff is up next, but that is going to end when he marries Ida Lupino. So needless to say, these two are both doing a lot of cavorting marriages be damned. 
These two dig sex. A lot. So five years later, there's this big MGM party, and Ava is driving to it. And there is this car that, uh, it's speeding past her and then slows down and then speeds past her again and then slows down. And she's just like, what the fuck? It's Frank Sinatra. And he's trying to flirt with her, like, car style. He's headed to the same event. And Ava's determined not to flirt. He's married with kids. But Ava, remember, is keen on the bands. She thinks Frank is a terrific singer, but she's, he's married. You know, I'm just, I'm, so the universe has a plan for these two crazy kids. The next stage happens, and I'm taking all of this from Ava's autobiography, uh, Ava, My Story. I'm really heavily sourcing this book for this story. So this is Ava's telling of things, just so y'all know. So next step, Ava and her friend and assistant, Rini, are living literally at the base of the Sunset Towers. And Frank has a bachelor pad in the Sunset Towers. Hmm. And this huge structure just like covers her little tiny apartment. But when Frank and all of his drinking buddies are over, they call over the windows and down to Ava. Ava, we know you're down there. Oh, my God. Ava. It's like... Exactly. Yes. And Rini and Ava, like, nod and smile and wave, like, all right, you idiots. But after a few of these casual shout-outs, they meet outside the building one day. And Frank is like, let's be friends. Let's have dinner and drinks. Which happens. And that turns into a makeout session. Okay. As attracted as Ava is to Frank and he is to her, during this makeout sesh, it just feels wrong. Hmm. Like, she's like, this... It's too much, too soon, too fast. Like, I'm out. So Ava heads home. She thinks that book is closed. Interesting. Sometime in 1949, this according to her, a party in Palm Springs, she is with Bappy. Remember her older sister who's okay. kind of her mom figure? Mm-hmm. And Bappy's taken off from this party because she's bored and wants to take a nap. And she knows Ava can get a ride back home. And Frank is there. Let's start again. Now... Things in 1949 are not great for Frank. His voice is letting him down. Hmm. He has fallen in the pulls of popular vocalists. And his billing, like he's not the headliner anymore on the marquee. He's number two on the marquee. It's a tough time for Frank. Yeah, it can't make him happy. Ava's star is on the rise. So during this whole thing, you kind of, it's star trajectory in a really interesting way but yeah my story features this as well this this time in palm springs ava's not gonna focus on frank's tough time they instead focus on falling in love (laughs) and all the things that two people do when they're falling in love they laugh and talk and drink and he takes her home they don't kiss there's no further date but ava knows that she is in love it's but he's still married oh yeah Very much so. Okay. So they meet back in Hollywood for dinner, and she asks now about Nancy. Okay. Like, what's up? And Frank's like, oh, God, just, I hate it when men do this. I've left her physically and emotionally and geographically years before. I'm not going back. Frank will be committed to his kids forever and has a deep loyalty to Nancy and the kids, and Ava's going to learn this loyalty thing as part of Frank's nature, but he says, 
Physically and emotionally, Nancy and I are done. I'm so checked out of my marriage. It's like I'm not even married. Like, dude, does your wife know? I mean, she probably does, but... Ava and Frank make love that night, and Ava describes it as magic. She says then that they become lovers forever, eternally. Like, sometimes it just happens that way. So they're in love, but he's still married, and the two of them are trying to keep a low profile. Right. I'm sure Ava Gardner is fully able and Frank Sinatra. Yeah, that's <laughs> no one saw anything. So Lana Turner and Ava Gardner are friends. They have like daily martinis. They're like martini buddies. And uh, how do we get a martini buddy? I know, right? <laughs> Lana Turner, you know, over martini time is like Ava. I she warns her off Frank. Like there's no malice. Like Ava's not mad. Lana, nobody's uh, this isn't, you took my guy. There's none of that. It's just, he's not going to leave Nancy. I was in love with him too. I get that he is the, I get he's Mr. Big stuff, but save yourself the trouble. Like, don't waste your time going down a road. He's never going to leave Nancy. And Ava's like, hey, with me, there won't be any compromise if he wants me. Hmm. If he wants me, he wants me. There will be no Nancy. So we're going to, we're going to, do some tumbling dice there and see how it goes. And by George, like he does it. So they're still keeping their affair very quiet for a while. But in early 1950, holy crap, it all blows up. So Frank is singing in Dallas and Ava calls one of his friends like, hey, let's go surprise Frank. It'll be awesome. And the friend's like, I don't think that's a great idea, which makes Capricorn Ava way more determined to do it. Hitches on a plane, off they go. Frank's happy to see her. But then the mayor invites them to dinner at, yeah, and so a picture's taken. Oh, sure. And 24 hours later, that picture of them at dinner is the headline. Huh. And this is the last straw for Nancy. Yeah. You remember Nancy picked Valentine's Day, 1950, to announce their separation. And now poor Ava Gardner has the scorn of the world heaped on her. Right, right. She is a bitch. She is a Jezebel. She has hate mail pouring in. The Legion of Decency is threatening to ban her movies. <laughs> Catholic churches are asking all of the students in parochial schools to pray for Nancy Sr. What a world. Ava is labeled a homewrecker and a gold digger. And Frank's reputation, which had already lost a lot of the shine, is now lower than dirt. Ava's lower than dirt. And the press just calls open season on these two. Yikes. Now, I mean, are, I mean the, the homewrecker thing is not entirely off base, but anyway. Neither one of these souls is tranquil. They're both kind of hotheads. They're both high strung. They're both possessive. They're both jealous. And when they fight, it is all of that base kind of stuff. They never have professional squabbles. But as Ava calls it, red fanged romantic jealousy. Now, Ava takes no bullshit. So we're, as men, to your point, are praised for... Sleeping around. She's kind of pissed that she gets slut shamed and she is not in for that. She's like, it is all bullshit, honey. Like, nope. She is a woman ahead of her time. We're going to see this in a lot of ways. So the two of them enter into this affair. They often get into a lot of trouble during their escapades. I mean, they're both super up there, high strung. There's a lot of alcohol and a lot of passion. Uh, one time, Sinatra's publicist had to get them out of jail 
when a drunken joyride at 3 a.m. left several storefront windows blown out by their two pistols. Oh, my God. Cost about $20,000 to get out of that one. Um, yeah, that's only funny because no one got hurt. Right. Um, drunk it, driving and firing off firearms in a city. Yay. When they're a star, they'll let you I do mean, anything. Clearly. So, now Frank Sinatra has been jealous of Ava's second husband, Artie Shaw. But... Like, he knows that's really over, but Ava has another man in her life that Frank isn't at all cool with, Howard Hughes. Mm. Frank can't understand that Ava has never slept. It's the jewelry, it's man. The, the, right? the guy with the jewelry Ava's tray never at the party. slept with him. Um, Howard is crazy about Ava Gardner. Ava is not messed up romantically with the likes of Howard Hughes. She right. never will be. But that doesn't stop Howard Hughes from spying on Ava all the time. That's not creepy at all. Well, she doesn't really care. Like, no one's getting in her way. She is still going to drink, fuck, cavort, whatever she wants to. Just like, whatever. You're wasting your time following me. But right, when you cut, co- yeah, he had, he had like security that would go and follow around the women he was interested in. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that was yeah. awesome. Neat. Neat We're guy. We're going to do a whole follow up. There's a Ava adjacent stuff with everything. Like, if you don't hear your very favorite part of Ava Gardner, we're going to cover it on Patreon on the back end because there's so much to this story. Okay. Howard can't stand Frank. He's following her. He's following Frank. Like, he won't let up. And, like, Howard, oh, gosh, just so sad. It's never going to be his chance with Ava. Ava's way too far gone on Frank. She even one night marches Frank up on to his home and in front of Nancy and the kids demands to know if Nancy's going to grant him a divorce. Wow. It's trashy. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's, that's rough. So in March of 1950, they're not even married yet. I'm just trying to get him married. Like, get him divorced. Every, yeah. <laughs> not even married to get divorced. March 1950, Frank is opening at the Copa and they have dinner one night and they fight and in every place they go, Women are coming on to Frank, which is not cool with Ava. And this night, Ava's just like, I'm out. She gets back to the hotel and she's fucking bored. So she's like, ah, Artie's in town. Let me call him and see what he's doing. Artie Shaw is hanging with his new girlfriend. So they're ready to go to bed, but they're like, yeah, we can have another drink. Come on over. So Ava comes over. Three of them have cocktails. Now, Ava has left the page open in her phone book. Back at the hotel. So when Frank busts in, right, he's like, oh, she's with Artie Shaw. So 30 minutes later, Frank shows up at Artie <laughs> boom, Shaw's, boom, 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 right, boom. Yeah. with, you know, his assisted help, you know, ready to bust some shit up. And the scene is totally different. There's Artie Shaw like, tut tut, do come in, meet my girlfriend. Would you like a drink? So, like, Frank has come to do battle. Right. And now he's just embarrassed. And the one thing Frank Sinatra never likes to be is embarrassed. So he and his buddy, right, who he's picked up to help him get in the fight. Yeah, I'm thinking his name is Muscle, right? They end up leaving. Ava leaves shortly after. So everybody's back at the hotel and Ava's phone in her sweet rings. And it's Frank. And he's like, I can't stand it. I'm going to kill myself now. And there's a revolver shot. You guys have way too much access to guns. Yeah, for real. Like, uh, sorry, but there's a revolver shot. So she races out of her suite, 
and over into Frank's and he's lying on the bed and she is frantic and Frank like smiles at her sheepishly and the revolver's still fucking smoking because he shot through the mattress thinking it would muffle the noise for this attention-getting scheme. Oh, my God. But shortly, the hotel and the cops are all knocking at the door, asking a lot of questions, and, like, the gun gets hidden away. They both play innocent, and they never talk about it again, Ava says. She's overwhelmingly relieved that he's alive, and they're not going to go back and retread on that, but I don't think you forget that happens. So Ava this year finishes Showboat, and Frank is still doing crap with his career. Like, his voice really is going out. Like, he is having the roughest time, and it's not going easier because of all the press and Nancy and you adulterer and blah, blah, blah. Okay. May 29th, 1951, Nancy finally agrees to the divorce. Hallelujah. And it's all going great. But nothing is shaken down by August. There's still no divorce. Like, Ava's met Frank's mom and dad. Like, everything should be coming up roses. Then there's Labor Day in Lake Tahoe of that year. A little bit before this, Ava has spent a careless night in bed on set with an actor a while back. It was a nothing. It was a sexual dalliance. And Frank, this particular weekend... Is all kinds of like honey and gentle about it. And he worms it out of her. He's like being kind, like, hey, we, we've all done it. So when she reveals this secret shame, like it was a one night stand, it didn't mean anything to me, Frank never forgives her. Oh, God. Like he's jealous all the time. And oh, God, there's a sinking boat and it's all high drama. But this night, Frank makes an offhanded remark that hurts Ava so deeply. She doesn't argue. She doesn't shout back. She just leaves. She's out. So she and Rini pack up and head on home only to get back to the Pacific Palisades where they've driven all night after all of the shit behavior. Oh, my God. Where the phone is ringing and it's Frank's assistant and Frank has taken an overdose. Oh, my God. So they get back in the car like exasperated pigeons. I think that's how she says to drive back. Ava's like, she could have killed him, but she forgives him in 25 seconds. So he's really into, uh, he mm-hmm. he can't stand it when her attention's not on him. That is it. Or if he thinks he's lost her attention for good. Okay. Well, Ava writes later that she understands these mock suicide dramas where Frank cries for help. Mm-hmm. Like, he was really down. His contracts had been canceled. His wife wants every dollar. Like, this proud man in 1951 is a washed-up husband. Ava writes, Our love was deep and true, even though the fact we couldn't live with each other any more than we couldn't live without each other sometimes made it hard for outsiders to understand. All I know is that if Frank had lost me or, had I, or I had lost him during those months, our worlds would have been shattered. At the end of October 1951, Nancy Sr., Divorce is granted. A week later, Frank and Ava ready to get married. Howard Hughes, I think, throws a wrench in this and almost gets the wedding canceled because Ava doesn't know it was Howard at the time. But there's a letter that's sent to the bride on her wedding eve. And the letter has all the details from a woman who was claiming that she slept with Frank. Like, not outside of the realm of possibility. No, uh, not like, at not all. At all. But, like, details that 
makes Ava believe it. So there's, again, a lot of high drama. Everybody's like, you can't cancel. Like, it's done. Like, the wedding, you can't. It's, it's, you know, funny thing about weddings. <laughs> <laughs> you can cancel that thing. Like, when you're in the room, you can just be like, no. So, but I gather she does not do that. The wedding happens. Okay. November 7th, 1951. The honeymoon happens. Honeymoon's a disaster. Like, her suitcase doesn't get taken. Like, they end up in Miami. They go from Miami to Havana. In Havana, 1951, right? They're having a marvelous time. Probably the most marvelous time they're going to have in their marriage. The press is not hounding them. Havana in 1951 is a hot spot, right? But once they get back, reality settles in and it's all bad again. Frank's career still tanking. Her ascendant on the rise. She wants to support him, but, I mean, he's an awful lot to handle. He's got guilt about Nancy. And she's working to pay the bills because Frank can't get work. These two really have the most on-again, off-again marriage in Hollywood. So there are furious rows and reconciliations. And remember, they're both trying to work. So Ava ends up using her weight with the studio to get Frank the thing he wants the most in the world. He wants to play the part of Maggio in From Here to Eternity. Like, he wants it bad. He knows that this role was meant for him. And Harry Cohn wants none of this. But Ava has Harry's wife, Joan, on her side. And Ava's just like, come on, Harry, give him a test. I'll do my next movie for free. Just test him. And Frank Sinatra goes one better and says, listen, I'll work for a thousand bucks a week. I'm the cheapest actor you're good at. Like, this role was made for me. Ava's about to leave to go to Africa to make Magumbo with Clark Gable and Grace Kelly. And this whole story of that is that, y'all, there's so much Ava-adjacent stuff coming up on Patreon. Okay. So Ava's in Africa filming, and two things happen. The first, Frank does fly back. Because he gets the screen test from here to eternity. It's get, he's, his little screen test is given the green light. Great. Second thing, Ava's pregnant. And Ava does some hard thinking and weighs all the considerations, both hers and the studios. Yeah, because the studios tended to have like yeah. lines in the contract that you weren't allowed to get pregnant because it would <laughs> we can't film right. you if you're pregnant. Yeah. Well, for real. Every woman has a right to choose what is best for her. And... Ava proceeds without telling Frank to have an abortion. Wow. Ava heads to London in November, and the London doctors, it's weird, as long as they agree with you, like, you have to give them a good reason to go through with it, but they'll complete the procedure. So there's a lot of questioning. And, I mean, at the end of it, Ava's just like, I don't think it's a sensible time for me to have a child. If you bring a child into the world, it's got to have a stable background Loving parents who can give it time and attention. At present, my entire life is one mad whirl, and it's going to be like that for a few years to come. Frank comes back to Africa in December 1952 for Ava's 30th birthday. Frank got the part. Things are looking up. Ava does not tell Frank about that London trip, but they have such a good time in in December. Ava, who's managed to not become pregnant throughout her first two marriages, Something flips in that first one, and now she's fertile as hell, and she's pregnant again. Oh, jeez. So, like, we're talking, like, a couple months after? Oh, my God. Okay. Now, this time, Frank does know, and he's delighted. 
But again, like Ava's doubts are creeping in. Frank has a new role. She has a new role. She heads back to London to a different clinic this time that doesn't ask any questions. And Ava later writes about Frank. Clearly someone had told him what I was doing because as long as I live, I'll never forget waking up after the operation and seeing Frank sitting next to the bed with tears in his eyes. But I think I was right. I still think I was right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's yeah, it's tumultuous. They decide to go on another honeymoon, this time to Europe. She's taking a break from filming. Frank is on tour. And it's super bad. So in Italy, um, Frank is performing on stage and the light goes to her and the whole crowd starts chanting, Ava, Ava, Ava. Which again... Yeah, I'm sure Frank loved that. It humiliates Frank. Like, the trip is uh, all bad. These, you know, lovebirds are still slinging away, and things are going to turn around, right? Which they kind of do. Frank wins the Academy Award. Fantastic. For From Here to Eternity for Best Supporting Actor. He's coming out back on top. He's going to hook up with Bogey and Bacall to get into our first iteration of the Rat Pack shortly. Ava's going to move to Spain first, then London, and... Live a life doing exactly what she wants to do, but these two are not going to do it together. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Ava writes that she remembers the day she wanted a divorce. Frank called her and says, I'm in bed with another woman. And if you're going to accuse me of doing it all the time with other people, which I'm not, I'm going to go ahead and do it. So I might as well be guilty. <laughs> um, <clears throat> constructive way of handling disputes so ava knows then that they have reached a crossroads i believe they have <laughs> she explains not because we had fallen out of love but because our love had so battered and bruised us yeah. we couldn't stand it anymore yeah it doesn't sound like they ever had a healthy love particularly so october 29th 1953 their separation is announced by mgm so this wasn't even a very long, this was a couple two years. years. Two, well, two years of before they separated. Right. It's going to take them another four years to finalize the divorce. It's not final until 1957. Okay. So, it, but they really did it like a hot and heavy three or four year thing. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Two years before separation is announced in October. So, yeah. The statement reads, Ava Gardner and Frank Sinatra stated today that having reluctantly exhausted every effort to reconcile their differences, they could find no mutual basis on which to continue their marriage. Both expressed deep regret and great respect for each other. Their separation is final and Miss Gardner will seek a divorce. So here's the thing. It is going to take another four years for them to finalize the divorce. The two of them are going to have multiple affairs with other people before their divorce is final in 1957, but they are always going to remain very close. Even though Frank has a whole other arc of living to do, and so does Ava, like she moves to Spain in 1955 because she has bullfighters to fuck. Like <laughs> they, okay. So, that is essentially the trashy divorce of Frank Sinatra and Ava Gardner. I see you opening a book, though. I do. I'm going to open and read from page 192 of Ava's book, because I really think I'm going to give her the last word on this. Ava writes, I'm not proud of my three matrimonial failures. 
what woman would be. I know I loved each of my husbands sincerely and deeply, but things like career crises, the nagging Hollywood spotlight, and all the criticism we took every time we turned around got in the way of our genuine feelings. I think the main reason my marriages failed is that I always loved too well, but never wisely. I'm terribly possessive about the people I love and probably smother them with love. I'm jealous of every minute they spend away from me. I want to be with them, to see them, to be able to touch them. Then and only then am I happy. I knew the men that I married were very attractive to the opposite sex. The 20 marriages they had between them proves that, if nothing else does. 20 marriages. 20 marriages between her three. She'll never marry again. Yeah, good for her. 20 between them. That's the right choice. I know. She goes on. And I knew they had to face situations where the ladies concerned were practically dragging them into bed. I could rationalize those encounters, but I couldn't live with them. Sex isn't all that important, but it is when you love someone very much. Perhaps I expected too much from my husbands, and they inevitably disappointed me. God knows I've got so many frailties myself, I ought to be able to understand and forgive them and others, but I don't. (laughs) If I was capable and wanted to give, then why couldn't I expect the same thing in return? Maybe in the final analysis, they saw me as something I wasn't. And I tried to turn them into something they could never be. I love them all, but maybe I never stood in, understood any of them. I don't think they understood me. I have a very soft spot in my heart for Ava Gardner. Here's the deal. Even though Frank and Ava ended, uh, Ava, Frank continues to call her. He's going to pay for her funeral. He calls her multiple times a week. They're always taking off in the future at some point down like, hey, why did we even break up? Let's get back together. And Ava's like, yeah, it would be heaven, but it wouldn't last more than 24 hours. And off I go running again. (laughs) We could never quite understand why it hadn't and couldn't work out. Hmm. Ava says, and she was quoted later, like, I wouldn't get married again, but I would get remarried. Hmm. Like they seriously loved each other. For all the days. For all the days. So much. So much. And. But it never could. It never could. And they stay in love with each other. I mean, Frank's going to get married again. He's going to come back. We've got another marriage of his to talk about. We have a lot of Ava stuff to talk about on Patreon. But, you know, if they just hadn't had that rising Pisces or whatever, like they. (laughs) All right. How many trash cans do these crazy kids get? All All of them. them. They had a trashy get together. They had a trashy separation. They had a trashy divorce. Like an open marriage for these two may have been a super idea, except for all the red hot jealousy they had about each other. Like neither one was ever faithful. And honestly, it all sounds exhausting. So I'm giving them all the trash cans full of liquor shot out windows and naps uh, under a Pisces moon. There you go. There you go. Wow. All right. It's a trashy divorce of Frank and Ava. Man, that was so much more than a trashy divorce. You're right. That was <laughs> the trash can spectacular. I I didn't know. Um, wow. Poor Nancy Sinatra. Poor Nancy. Again, we've said that every episode, like, I think. <laughs> 
Because story. Because I also generally have a like warm opinion of Ava Gardner, but that sort of changes things up a bit. No, and like, she lived a life. We're gonna again. I'm not done with her. We're gonna talk about her some more. Right. She had a hell of a life, and I mean that's why she moves overseas. She doesn't want anybody telling her what she can and can't. I want to go drink and do flamenco, and fuck who I want. I don't want the student. Like, no, like she goes and lives a life very much on her own terms i think she's a woman a little bit ahead of her time but also i mean maybe a little bit like frank just as lonely and insecure inside it's all a a tragedy yeah tragedy of frank and ava great story though all right let's take a break so we can come back for some birthday times yep yep for everybody's favorite angel dolly parton yep let's do this so stacy you're bringing us our first non-romantic trashy divorce our our first work divorce yeah yeah okay that seems right yeah i have the trashy not exactly divorce of dolly parton and porter wagoner because you know what today is tell us today's dolly parton's birthday happy birthday dolly parton all right so to open yes i will always love her i love her yeah i love her there's, it's like the law. There's, she's so, she's an also, angel. it's just a pure impulse of being. I mean, there's no, what she's are, an angel. What, what are the options here? Happy birthday, Dolly. Happy birthday, Dolly Parton. Too open. Yes, we are well aware that Dolly Parton was never married to Porter Wagoner, so let's clear that up right away. All right. Don't at us, don't email. We know. That said, by all accounts, their creative partnership at the outset of her career was reportedly extremely intense, and their parting of ways really brought out the worst in Porter Wagoner. There was even a big, hard-fought legal case and a financial settlement, so with the exception of the married part, they basically had a divorce. It was a trashy divorce, just work style. Yeah, just... it yeah. Ha- It's a good podcast about bad relationships. Tell me. Yep. All right. So, you know, just to be clear, Dolly Parton has had just one marriage and zero divorces and has apparently been very happily married to the extremely private Carl Dean since May 30th, 1966. Oh, wow. Yes. In 2016, they renewed their vows on the occasion of their 50th wedding anniversary. So sweet. Congratulations. Uh, so there, we know. We love Dolly. We wanted to cover Dolly, and this episode comes out on Dolly's birthday, so we made it work. And she's the one who got away from Porter Wagner. It kinda, all... Kind of. Okay. One last thing before we get into it. WNYC has released a podcast series called Dolly Parton's America, if you've not heard about this. High recommend. It is wonderfully done. Yeah. Dolly herself is in it, as is her music, because they have a budget, <laughs> unlike us all right so yeah again strong recommendation it it is excellent it's delightful okay dolly and porter this is a story that we've told before an older man discovers an up-and-coming female talent and takes her under his wing until she grows up a little and realizes that those feathers are suffocating her. It's the tale of every trashy divorce we tell around this place. Kinda, yeah. Cher went through this with Sonny Bono. Mariah Carey experienced it with Tommy Mottola. And when Dolly Parton broke away from country legend Porter Wagoner, he did his best to make her pay for it. Ooh. And she did. <laughs> Ooh. 
Dolly, very famously, was born in a one-room cabin on the Little Pigeon River in eastern Tennessee on January 19th, 1946. So happy birthday to a lovable living legend and Capricorn. For real. She was one of 12 children, and when she was very young, her family was engaged in sharecropping with dad supplementing the family's income with, like, construction jobs, probably handyman work, probably helping out on other farms, like the huge, what you do back in the... To scrape by? Mm -hmm. In the holler? Yeah. Yes, these are are mountain folks from the holler in Tennessee. Her family was very close-knit, very, very poor. Grandpa was a Pentecostal preacher. But to be honest, it's hard to imagine that the Parton clan would not have been raised in the church in those days or even today. Like so many people, the church is where she first got into singing. She was later given a guitar. By the age of 10, Dolly was making appearances on Knoxville radio stations. And at 13, she made her first appearance at the Grand Ole Opry, just a few years after Elvis had performed there to a pretty quiet crowd. 13? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So little and yeah. Dolly graduated from Sevier County High School in 1964, packed up her things, and arrived in Nashville the next day. This is someone who knows what she wants. And that is really central to this whole story, is that Dolly Parton had a very clear vision of what she wanted to do with her life. And people who tried to stop her from doing that were just not going to be tolerated forever. Yeah, Capricorns are determined. Yeah. So she's picked up by Combine Publishing as a songwriter not long after arriving. And, you know, she then wrote and co-wrote several hit singles, but these really were, these were tough financial years. Like, maybe it helped that she came from really poor, like a really poor upbringing, because apparently she couldn't afford food a lot of the time. Like, it was, it was a rough period. 65, she is signed as a performer which is what she wanted to be. The record label thought her voice was too high for country music, and they wanted to shoehorn her in as a pop star, doing little bubblegum pop songs. Oh, that is not ever going to work. Pop radio. No. Yeah. I just don't see that. Nah, she recorded a bunch of songs for them, but that didn't really go anywhere. So after about a year of that, the label threw up its hands and let her record some country songs. Yay. And it's on. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is, including one by songwriter Curly Putman. Dumb Blonde hit number 24 on the country chart. Nice. And its follow-up, Something Fishy, went to number 17. Hello, Dolly. This is the kind of success you hope for, and soon enough, Dolly Parton's phone rang. On the other end was a voice that must have made her drop her jaw. Porter Wagoner, who was about two decades into his career by then, was looking to hire for his hit TV show, The Porter Wagoner Show. There's some ego attached to this gentleman. A little bit. A little bit. Dolly initially thought he was just hiring a songwriter because I guess she had been sending, because he had a nationwide TV show. Right. He was in like 100 markets at its peak. It's crazy. Yeah, it it was all over. So she had been sending him songs, hoping to get her songs played on the TV, on the TV machine. And uh, I don't know. So she figured he was hiring for a songwriter and... She wasn't going to say no to that. Turns out, however, that Porter's longtime female lead singer, which they referred to as the girl singer in the show, uh, Norma Jean, was leaving the show. He did not just need a girl songwriter. He needed a new girl singer. 
those are capitalized girl and singer. It's really different times, friends. Worse times, but different times. Different, different, different. All right, so he wanted Dolly Parton to be his new girl singer. I'm so mad. Capital G, capital S. Dolly was like, well, I am indeed a girl, and I write, play guitar, and sing. So she met the minimum qualifications for the job. So I'm going to make this confession here. I grew up in the Dolly Parton era, not in the Porter Wagoner era. And basically my whole life, I knew that Dolly Parton had been sued by a manager at some point back in the day. And I was this week old when I learned that Porter Wagoner was also a huge star in country music. And from 1954 to 1983, the guy landed 81 singles on the what? charts. He's in the Country Music Hall of Fame. Like, I, like Holy seriously, cats. All I, knew, I didn't know. Yeah, all I knew was like that she had some long-running lawsuit feud with matter. the manager. Right. Yeah. Right. That was okay. So. Porter Wagoner, born August 12, 1927. Ah, uh, Leo boy. Leo. Which, I mean, come on, shows. Um, he hailed from, well, you'll see. He hailed from West Plains, Missouri, and after kicking around Springfield for a few years in his early 20s, he was signed to RCA Victor, like 1951 or so. By 55, he was a featured performer on the Ozark Jubilee television show. It was a nationally televised country music variety show. So this would have been a very, very big deal. In 57, he moves to Nashville to join the Grand Ole Opry, also a very big deal. He, his, uh, you really should, we'll have pictures on the website. He had the most insane suits. They were, they were called nudie suits because the, the guy that manufactured them was named nudie or something, but they just, they were these like elaborate rhinestone ornamented, they had Shapes and designs. Fantastic. It is this super old school. I'm so happy that country music has moved past this because, (laughs) but as a Leo, like he, he, he made himself the biggest, shiniest, glitteriest, fanciest thing on the stage. Like, like a rhinestone cowboy. That's precisely, they were probably (laughs) talking about Porter Wagoner at that point. (laughs) This guy was popping off hits from 1955 on, and I swear to God, I had never heard of him outside of his dispute with Dolly Parton. He had this big blonde pompadour, had these like ornate rhinestone crusted suits. And, you know, you pull up old clips of him and you can see the charisma he had. Like he was really, he had found his calling. No yeah, doubt. Boy. Yeah, he had found his, his craft and... uh so he was a band leader, a television show producer, a songwriter, and a performer, all in one. But also, he was the boss. He was in charge. He was top dog. That was that. Boy boss, capital B, capital B. Mm-hmm. So as much as his audience loved him, the audience really struggled with this transition from Norma Jean to Dolly Parton. Norma Jean had a much more traditional country music voice. It was a little lower. It was, I don't know. It was just, it's a very beautiful voice. Um, Dolly Parton obviously has a... Different. It's different. I think she probably had a really different energy on stage too than Norma Jean. Like she was 21, I think, when she took this job. Norma Jean had been with him for like 10 years. Yeah, it's tough being a girl singer. Yeah, the girl singer. Sorry, pardon me. <laughs> okay. People booed 
Not gonna lie. Poor little oh, Dolly Parton. Oh, poor Dolly Parton. Uh, people would chant Norma Jean's name when Dolly <gasps> well, came was... out. No. On those early shows. So while Porter Wagoner has a few things we would maybe say strikes against him in, in the record book, let us note that Porter really believed in Baby Dolly. So he redesigns the show. Huh. So they begin doing duets regularly which i think for him was just like this way you know the audience i'll be there with you you're they're not gonna, gonna ha- boo when they're not gonna boo me i'm on stage mm-hmm. right yeah that's smart but then these take off and suddenly they're landing number one hits <gasps> as their duets oh wow and then year after year they're winning like award like award season rolls around and they are the the top duo the top group the top like they get all of all of those awards they win so you know, suddenly they're a thing. So from, yeah, 68 to 71, they won Vocal Group of the Year, Vocal Duet of the Year, Vocal Duo of the Year, etc., etc. Wow. Their first top 10 hit together was called The Last Thing on My Mind. This was in 68. And yeah, for the next six years, all of their duets were top 10 singles. Holy cats. And meanwhile, at Porter's urging, Dolly had left her old record label that wanted her to be a bubblegum pop star. And had signed with RCA Victor, which is his label, to launch her solo career, which just kind of didn't go anywhere. She had some moderate chart success. She had a single Just Because I'm a Woman that went to 17. But for the next couple of years, it was really just the duets that were okay. that were working. And this was not making her happy. And it was not making Porter happy. Porter, at this point owned, uh, I want to say like 50% of her music publishing business and of course had a big stake just in her becoming successful because it would help his show, all of that. So, you know, it's like two extremely ambitious individuals, each with like a very clear view of how things should go and Porter being older and far more experienced would have definitely perched himself up there to tell her how to do things. She had her own very clear vision. But anyway, they kept throwing songs out there that didn't land, and this did not help their personal relationship. Dolly has said that they were both very stubborn, and stubborn creatives working together will inevitably encounter conflicts. Looking across the table at you. Okay. Avoiding my eyes. (laughs) So, 1970, Porter decides he knows what the problem is. Oh. All of her songs to this point, all the singles, they've been pretty down-tempo, pretty slow. This is, they're deeply authentic Dolly Parton songs, right? But he's like, you know what? Let's give these people something to clap to. Just jazz like, it up a little. Let them tap their toes. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> you know what you can do real, real good, Dolly? You can yodel a bit. What? A little bit. There's some light yodeling in, um... <sighs> In the song Mule Skinner Blues, uh, this is actually a great song. Again, lots of stuff on our website, TrashyDivorces.com. Okay, so this was written by Jimmy Rogers. It really, it's super fun. It's just up-tempo. It's a beat. It's just a fun. There's yodeling. There's light yodeling. <laughs> so this goes to number three. Then she releases the song Joshua, which goes to number one. It is her first solo number one hit. She performs this on so Porter's show. So it's the overnight show. success story that took 10 years? It's totally, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she performs this on Porter's show, and she has just this nice big smile, and 
Oh my God, is her hair humongous, which of course becomes her trademark. Bigger the hair, closer to God. Yeah, higher the hair, the closer to God. Yeah. Okay. So by 73, she's been racking up hits with and without Porter. Like Solo, she had Code of Many Colors, My Tennessee Mountain Home, Traveling Man, which is really funny. I listened to a lot of this ahead of time. Some of these I'd forgotten, some I had not. Plus Duets, The Right Combination, and Burning the Midnight Oil. Her career was definitely at the simmer point, but the fire would land late in 1973 when she recorded what I think is generally regarded as a musical masterpiece, Jolene. Oh. On the off chance that you have never heard this thing, turn us off and Google it. It's a remarkable song. It is ostensibly the tale of a woman beseeching the lover or would-be lover of her husband slash boyfriend Please don't take my man. Just because you can. Just because you can. As, oh, a, as a kid, like I remember finding the song really confusing because of this verse. This Again, this is a woman telling, you know, a potential rival for the affection of whatever. Your beauty is beyond compare with flaming locks of auburn hair with ivory skin and eyes of emerald green. Your smile is like a breath of spring. Your voice is soft like summer rain. And I cannot compete with you, Jolene. So I had forgotten how jarring I found this passage until the Dolly Parton's America podcast, which has an episode on this song and a fan theory that this that the song is as homoerotic as that reads. Oh, for sure. And Dolly, who is... Truly like an all-embracing figure. Uh, she clarifies in that episode that that was not what was in her mind when she wrote it, but seems delighted that... People she... could think that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she is truly a special human. Isn't that the testament of good art? It translates a little differently. Like, mm-hmm. it, art is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. Yeah. Or the heart or the soul or the whatever. So back to the interpersonal dynamics of, um, you know... Porter and Dolly, you can see this, what is happening with their story by looking at their awards nominations. So from 66 to 71, Porter wins Grammys, CMAs, etc. Just what he wins something every single year. Not always with Dolly, like a lot of them are duets with Dolly, but not always. Like he's just, he's a guy who wins awards okay. for his music. Like okay. that's, and then after 1971, there's just Nothing. He's not a guy who wins awards. Right. Not until like the Lifetime Achievement Award kind of stuff starts like two decades later. Like he just drops from, he's just not that caliber of artist anymore. So in the late 60s, Dolly was literally just getting started from 1968 and into the 80s. Dolly is nominated every year for something in country or pop in the US or the UK or Canada as a Grammy, as a CMA, as an ACM, whatever, you name it. These were just two people who were really at opposite, sort of opposite poles in their their career. career. Interesting. And by 1974, Dolly had made up her mind that her forever dream of being a solo artist was ripe for the taking. Let's do it. It was her time. Yeah, let's do it. So... She'd been wanting to leave for a while. She'd promised him five years when she signed on. This was year seven. Um, So she's fulfilled her obligation. And then some. 
Yeah, so they had been fighting like cats and dogs about her desire to leave. He had been crowding her. The more she developed her skills and confidence, the 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 more tightly he would try to like muscle in and just maintain some control over her and her career. She wanted to branch out and work with different producers and musicians. She wanted to try to make crossover hits into pop music. And basically, she wanted to go live her best fucking life. And Porter could not give up control. You're just the girl singer. You're the girl singer. Yeah. I made you. I hired you. Mm. I put you on TV. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. I don't know that he said those things, but it seems like he was thinking those things. So he was also, again, those those suits with the rhinestones and the... and Oh, my God. Uh, he was ride or die for traditional country music. And this, it does seem like this was like for himself because he brought James Brown to the Opry later on. Too much consternation from fantastic Opry audiences. Waylon Jennings once said of Porter Wagoner, he couldn't go pop with a mouthful of firecrackers. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, Dolly is really clear that the dynamics of their relationship at this point was very much like a failing marriage where just everything is all bound up. Like you can't isolate one thread of complaint or argumentation. They're all, everything's just all crammed together. Like it's been rolling around a dryer or something. And they're just getting angrier and angrier about the perceived transgression of the other. Like it's just... It sounds fun. So Dolly's got the seven-year itch, and in 1974, she walks into Porter's office, had him sit down, and played I Will Always Love You for him. This beautiful song. It is. It was her letter of resignation. Aww. Yep. Uh, He loved the song, and apparently that softened him up enough to at least be cordial for a minute, so he agreed that she could leave the show as long as he was still on to produce the next record. He did. And they went off separately. Porter left showbiz for a couple years, which he would later say was not about Dolly. Of course not. Of course not. She's just the girl singer. He had just been, he'd been touring for 27 years and he needed a break. I mean, that's understandable. I think Dolly sees that differently, but she was very busy in this period with all of her top 10 hits and number one singles. She even had her own television show, Dolly, for one season. And again, the parallels here with Sonny and Cher are remarkable. Mm-hmm. They're even close on in, in years. Um, Interesting. All right. So let's jump ahead about five years. And Porter Wagoner, back from his whatever, sitting on sabbatical. the side of a lake. Yeah. His rhinestone sabbatical. He decides the dolly was in breach of contract to him. Oh. And files a $3 million <gasps> lawsuit against Whoa. her. Oh. This prompted a ton of tabloid stories. This came to be known as country music's biggest feud, dragged on for years, and uh, it (laughs) made a lot of tabloid headlines, uh, and there were just salacious stories. I mean, to be clear, uh, neither one of these people has ever acknowledged having an affair. They were both married. He, He married in 46 or something, and... He and his wife separated in 66, but didn't divorce for huh. another 20 years. I have three kids. Like, okay. Anyway, so just to be clear, like, as far as they have made known to the public, nothing like that ever happened. But there was this fun story in one of the tabloids 
that Porter's wife had found him and Dolly in bed together and had shot them both. What? Porter responds to this by joking that the story was false because his wife had totally missed Dolly. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Couldn't happen. My wife's a terrible shot. Okay. Um... So after like six years of suits and countersuits and lawyers and more lawyers and more lawyers and even more lawyers, I think they both hate lawyers, Dolly just throws up her hands and is like, look, I don't have a million dollars, but I will give you a million dollars over time. Let's just stop doing this. And he was like, okay. So it took her several years to pay it, but you know, she did. So they managed to kind of put their relationship back together. And like by the late 80s, they were back on friendly terms. And this turned out to be a really good thing for Porter, who uh, later on got hit with this giant tax bill that he couldn't pay. Dolly heard about it and made a really nice offer. She purchased his entire catalog of songs. Holy crap. He could pay that off. Aww. So he did and he kept working. And when he had the funds to buy his catalog back... He asked her for a price, and she told him he could have it for free because she wanted his three kids to own his songs. Aw, mm-hmm. she saint She's walking the earth. Super good human, yeah, without a doubt. She, yeah. She's the real deal. She's the real, she's mm-hmm. a saint walking the earth. Yeah. Yeah, also, like, her husband, there are, like, five pictures of him in existence. She says he's only seen her perform one time. Really? He is so not interested in all of that. But it really does seem like they have a super loving marriage that they are both incredibly proud of. Like, it's strange. They have no She's, kids. She slides into the skid. Like, she is, this is the thing I really find, just, I admire about Dolly Parton so much as she slides into every stereotype that has been created about her, plays it up for all it's worth. And she, it, heart of gold, heart yeah, of gold, that one. Heart of gold. And just such a joyful sense of humor because she really like the, the big boob thing, the big hair thing, mm-hmm. right? Like you're right. I mean, she really, she just leans Slide into, into all into of the them. Skin. Yeah. So I think we all understand that these kinds of stories reflect a, core of who Dolly Parton is as a person. After Porter's death from lung cancer in 2007, which Dolly was present for, she told the LA Times, this is perfect, quote, I don't mean this in a bad way, but he was very much a male chauvinist pig. (laughs) And there is reason to believe it, too. So in his later years, when, you know, Dolly had super eclipsed his fame. Sure. So people would ask Porter Wagner, did you sing with Dolly? And his reply was always, no, she sang with with me. me. (sighs) Yeah. 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 Egos, man. MCP. So Dolly Parton, after divorcing her work husband, has gone on to become one of the most beloved figures in America. I feel like she and Oprah kind of represent a really similar archetype for our culture. And I'm grateful for both of them. Both of them. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Yeah, I mean, each one is sort of notionally pointed at a different demographic, but they're so universally loved that it's just all crossover. Like, there's no... 
I just I don't know where the subset of people who hate Dolly Parton or Oprah are. I don't think they exist. There are saints walking among us. We're going to get emails from weird people. <laughs> okay. Dolly has covered Led Zeppelin and recorded bluegrass albums. She has been part of the Honky Tonk Angels with Loretta Lynn and Tammy Wynette. Yeah, she was. And recorded the acclaimed Trio album with oh. Emmy Lou Harris and Linda Ronstadt. Oh. She starred in 9 to 5 and Steel Magnolias. And, of course, she recorded Islands in the Stream with Kenny, Kenny Rogers. Rogers. She was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame in 99 and the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2001. She is out and proud about her use of cosmetic surgery to maintain her brand. She opened Dollywood in 86 and has focused her investments into the eastern Tennessee area that birthed her. She is wildly philanthropic, and perhaps because her father never learned to read, literacy is one of the causes she cares deeply about. Her Dollywood Foundation operates Dolly Parton's Imagination Library, which mails one book per month, to every child enrolled in the program from their birth until they begin kindergarten. Right now. Oh, uh, you've got that look on your face. Crying like you're going to tear up. There you go. Books are okay. everything. 850,000 children. Unbelievable. In the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and Ireland are enrolled. And in 2018, the Imagination Library sent out its 100 millionth book oh wow and that's how you impact the world that's how you do it right there yep to this day dolly parton gives porter wagoner a lot of credit for helping her get established in those early years but clearly she had dreams far beyond what porter could envision for himself or for her to have the career the influence and the life that she wanted she had to walk away I don't think he ever quite got over it, but in her own success, she became someone he could count on when the chips were down. There are worse ways to be after a breakup. So, happy 73rd birthday, Dolly Parton. You are an angel. We are lucky to live in a world you helped build. That's the truth. Yeah. No trash cans. No! Wings and halos. There's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Porter Wagner is a sure male chauvinist pig. He maybe gets a little bit of a trash can, but. I'm just going to let her have that one. Ah! Male chauvinist pig. <laughs> I mean, not in a bad way. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that's Dolly Parton, which I know we've just wanted to fangirl about because why not? That was amazing. Well done, Stacey. Thanks. Well done. Thanks, everyone, for listening again this week. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for putting us in your ear holes. We, oh my gosh, have another exciting week on Patreon. You've got Trashy Politics this week. We have another episode of our Rat Pack Ocean's Eleven series. You're going to get into Las Vegas and the mob a little bit this week. Oh, oh, also... Happy early birthdays to our Aquarii, Aquarius. Our Trashtrology for Aquarius is going to drop on Monday which on is, Patreon. Uh, which is Martin Luther King Day. Yes, and, it is. Um, happy birthday to Martin Luther King. That's for sure. Hey, everybody, again, thanks for joining us for another week. We're going to be putting Frank Sinatra to the side for a second. We have some other members of the Rat Pack to talk about in the coming weeks. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 
Yep. You rock. In the meantime. Keep it trashy. Keep it so trashy. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear want to advertise with us reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information and last but not least come play with us on social media i keep most of our trashy divorces instagram hopping stacy and i share it up over on facebook including our trashy divorces podcast discussion group come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening keep it trashy y'all